Hi, I'm Evacheska DeAngelis, and I am here to welcome you to our internet radio broadcast, Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. Mind, Body, Health, and Politics brings you wide-ranging, uncensored conversations containing up-to-date information with prominent, nationally acclaimed authorities, scientists, and best-selling authors. We feature a wide variety of topics ranging from psychedelic science, expanding consciousness, mental and physical health, human sexuality, the environment, social justice, and much more. This program has been hosted by my father, Dr. Richard Lewis Miller, for 20 years, and we continue to broadcast because you listen. So please give us your support by subscribing free of charge at mindbodyhealthpolitics.org and joining our growing community. And now, here's my dad and today's guest. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Lewis Miller. The mission of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics is to enhance your physical and emotional well-being and encourage community. I say encourage community because I believe that human beings are tribal animals that are most effective in their living and most effective in their health when they live in small enough groups where everyone knows one another by name or at least by face. When we do this, we act tribally. We're cooperative, we're collaborative, and we just love doing things together all kinds of things, from sewing circles to poker games to watching games on television. You name it, we like doing it together, and we really love eating together. Sitting around in a circle at a table and eating is great fun for human beings. But at the very same time, we must always be aware that there's a very small percentage of us that are very different. These people are predators. They are dominators. And these people have a whole different way of looking at the world. They believe in a kind of Darwinist, social Darwinism, where the somehow the richest are at the top of the heap. Go way back to the pharaohs in Egypt, where a small group of people had the rest of the entire population, 99% in slavery. Move forward through history, and you'll see other examples of where these small groups of dominator predators control whether it was Caesar crossing the Rubicon and changing their experiment with democracy and republic into an empire, forward to Napoleon doing the same thing, jump into the 20th century with Hitler and Mussolini, into our 21st century with people like Bolsonaro and Trump. These are people who would overthrow our American revolution where we gave up being subjects to a king who could cut off our heads with the flick of a hand, and we became citizens in an experiment with democracy in a republic. A democracy, one person, one vote, a republic, everybody equal before the law. These folks would turn that around and turn us into a dictatorship. So we must be ever mindful. Now, I know some of you are listening to this and you're saying, how can we deal with this? We're dealing with food on the table. 70% of us are living paycheck to paycheck. We're dealing with rent, and you're telling us to be mindful of the government. And I'm saying, yes, we have to be, because better to be living paycheck to paycheck in a democracy, in a republic where you have a chance, than living paycheck to paycheck in a dictatorship or a tyranny. In the words of one of my great heroes, Thomas Jefferson, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Today, on Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, I have the good fortune of having with us a new friend, the CEO of Burning Man, Marion Goodell. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story about me and, and Burning Man. Way back 100 years ago, I was invited to a small party on a beach. I think it was Baker Beach in, in, in California. And about 20 of us showed up. And it was sort of an interesting group of artists and musicians. And there was a campfire on the beach. And it was a lot of fun. And afterwards, we went to someone's house and the party continued. I think that was about 1986. Now it's 2023. Marion Goodell, who's one of the founders of Burning Man and the CEO since 2013, is the head of a company that hosts a festival for 80,000 people. 80,000 people. And the city that she creates is miles 
and miles wide and deep. So I did a little a little background on Marion's name, and it turns out that when Moses left Egypt and took the Jews out of slavery and into freedom, he did so with his sister, his older sister, Marion, and his brother, Aaron. And Miriam was a major force in bringing the Jews out of Egypt and into the desert in the name of freedom. And she became known as a prophetess and a great leader. And here we have another Marian, sometimes referred to as Maid Marian, as in Robin Hood, who has brought people out into the desert in the name of freedom. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, Marian. Thank you. Thank you very much, Richard. I'm really, really happy to be here. Marian, what's most on my radar screen are two aspects of Burning Man that I'd like to discuss with you. There'll be others, but two things stand out for me. One is my, from my, to share with you my perspective on Burning Man and, and tell me how it fits or resonates or doesn't with yours. For me, Burning Man is a transformational tribal gathering, and it's part of a history throughout time of transformational tribal gathering. Does that resonate with you as what Burning Man is? Yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely. I think it grew into that kind of in a natural way, as you would imagine many tribal gatherings did, starting, like you said, with 20 people on a beach, and that resonated with the gatherers. And that is actually how Burning Man started. And it sounds like it might actually be true. You were there for the very first Burning Man. And the ritual of gathering together and coming back together kind of, you know, and, and particularly if it's the tribe is open to adding others. If the purpose, and in this case, was to be connective and to be open, that sort of tribal gathering, that movement, um, it replicated very quickly. Well, my understanding is that very early on, the founders of Burning Man created 10 principles, similar to the Ten Commandments in a way. It's interesting that it's the same number. And <laughs> And, and I think that connection is, I find it very interesting. And the first principle is what's called radical inclusion. And that's what you're mm -hmm. talking about now, isn't it? Tell us right. more about radical inclusion and what it means to Marion. Well, you know, it's really interesting that you gave me that extremely flattering introduction from a historical standpoint. When we first found a need for to codify or to write down what it was that was happening at Burning Man, it didn't, there really wasn't a necessity to define it um, in such a way until the culture started replicating, until people in other parts of the world wanted to know, how do we do it? How do we do it right? How do we follow what you're doing? And, you know, we wrote blog posts at the time. There was a newsletter. We would, we had the jackrabbit. Um, you know, Larry was the philosopher and I kept asking him, could you please tell the folks out in the world, what it is, what are the pieces that we want them to adhere to? And he he took a vacation. He went to Mazatlan to visit a friend. And he said that every day he went into the square and sat and wrote, thinking about what were the commonalities over the years? What did they learn since 1986? And this was 2004. So what had they learned at that point in nearly 20 years? And he did come back to the leadership group with nine of these principles and we gave him a hard time. We teased him and we said, well, if you've got as far as nine, why don't you have 10? And he went back and came back with one the next day, which is the last one, immediacy. And it's interesting that the order in a way was not deliberate, but then it was. It's sort of almost the order in which he wrote it down. So radical inclusion, it's, it is the first thing I mentioned because I think it's probably a very foundational aspect to the Burning Man culture. Many of these different pieces exist in different parts of culture. And in fact, we like to say that all the 10 principles exist together. But radical inclusion is meant to, you know, encourage everybody to welcome everyone to the table. You know, one of the things we've noticed through the dissemination of the culture as people work to create Burning Man culture out in the world, they have been struggling with, well, radical inclusion. What do I do with people that deviate from the community? They don't want to follow the rules. What do we do with predators? You made that mention earlier. Um, and what do we do with people that think differently? So in the case of the culture in general, the, the goal was that we want 
people to be welcome at the table. If you don't follow the cultural norms, you know, you, like in any culture, you may be asked to leave. You may be asked to modify your approach in order to really be a member of the culture or the member of the group or a member of the tribe. So we don't believe that you need to keep people with ill will in the community, but we do believe that you should, you look up and you welcome someone to the table. You welcome them into the conversation. So if I understand you correctly, if there are unusual cases where you have to exclude rather than include, it's based on behavior, not based on how they look or their religion or their belief system or their politics. It's based on how they're treating other people in the community. Is that correct? Absolutely. Um, That's probably part of our little secret sauce at Burning Man would be that, you know, people make an assumption that we're pretty left wing, but we have plenty of people that are not left wing. And we make it a really very important aspect of how we operate to not exclude people because of their color, because of their nationality and because of their politics. Burning Man would probably drop into being an echo chamber of particular opinion if we didn't make it super clear that in order to really be pro-human potential, we absolutely have to emphasize the importance of being accepting and, and listening to others. It doesn't mean you have to like everything you hear. It doesn't mean you actually have to accept what their ideas are, but it really does mean taking the time to, you know, realize the humanity in which we're all in. And that if you get deep enough there, you can hear a lot of diverse opinions and still sit with it and bring people to the table. And frankly, you know, there's a lot of people that say that Burning Man is sort of an antidote to the division. And I believe that radical inclusion is, you know, the, the first principle for that reason. Let's bring people to the table. Let's connect and listen and be inclusive. Well, certainly radical inclusion is at least a partial, if not a total antidote to exclusion and to division. And for those just tuning in, we're talking to Marion Goodell, the CEO of Burning Man, and we're talking about the 10 principles. And the reason we are is because Burning Man, from some of our perspectives, is a force for the positive of social change, of cultural change. And recently, Marion and I were both at an important conference in Denver, and it was the Historic Psychedelic Science Conference. And When I gave my presentation to several hundred people, I asked them, I asked the audience, I said, if you were going to grade humanity on how we're doing at taking care of one another, how many of you would give us an A? And there were no hands. I said, how many would give us a B? And there were no hands. I said, how many would give us a C? There were a sprinkling of hands. I then asked the same question about how we as a humanity are doing in taking care of our home, the planet. And again, no A's, no B's, and a sprinkling of C's. And now I'm saying this to you because what Marion stands for with Burning Man is a new way of looking at the world. That's what cultural change is about. So the first one that they're bringing to us is radical inclusion. And I want you all to think about what that means. Look up the 10 principles and consider them. Now we're going to go to the next one. The next one I have on my list is called gifting. What does gifting mean, Marion? Pretty straightforward, Richard. It, you know, it literally means giving of yourself. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to give of things. um, But in some cases, it is more about gifting and giving than it is transactions or bartering. We, at one point in 1997, we started to see people having barter bars at Burning Man. And there's a book called Gifting It, which is, or The Gift, actually, Gifting It's the film uh, related to The Gift. Lewis Hyde wrote this book, The Gift. And it really struck us that the uh, communities do function on the giving, um, and the giving of yourself and your time and your gifts. So that was the second principle that we called out, that we felt that Burning Man was existing and living, was gifting. Would you say gifting falls into the category of generosity of spirit more than generosity of material things, or is it both? Um, that's a really good question, Richard. I would say um, 
it's really a generosity of spirit because that in that format, it may be then it may express itself in the gifting of things. Um, it could be resources. It could be money. Um, it could be your time. Uh, it's, it's just meant to be a reminder that to live a life of transactions is going to always be setting your mindset for transactions. If you imagine when you're at Burning Man and your bike breaks down, um, that there's no bike shop. Um, it's highly likely that someone's going to come along who is a bike mechanic and you didn't know it. And they don't take you back to their camp and say $10 for fixing your bike. They just fix it for you. So maybe there is a item of value that they put on the bike to fix it. And maybe it was just the spirit, but it really is the gifting part is about the human connection and, and really, um, being aware of the way in which, uh, it's very rewarding to show up with that mindset and not a transactional one. In a way, I hear it as a modern version of do unto others as you would have others do unto you, but it may be even more advanced because it's to do unto others without an expectation that they do something back, but for the gift of the giving itself that you're advocating. Yeah. Now, it's unconditional. One, let's move on. Thank you. Let, let's move on to something that you all call decommodification. Decommodification. Tell us about that. Well, you know, it's an interesting one. When, when people translate the principles into other languages, they get stuck because the word is one that maybe we coined um, as Americans tend to adding a re or do a sovereign ing. Um, but decommodification, as it reads, says, in order to preserve the spirit of giving, our community seeks to create social environments that are unmediated by commercial sponsorship, transactions, or advertising. We stand ready to protect our culture from such exploitation. We resist the substitution of consumption for participatory experience. So it's kind of complicated. People often think, well, decommodification, Burning Man's against money. Because, of course, we only sell ice at Burning Man. We used to sell coffee. Now we only sell ice. We don't sell T-shirts. We don't sell food. We don't sell beer. Even if you're involved in any kind of transaction with Burning Man, you've done that transaction ahead of time and you can only transact money for ice. So it's not that we're against money because certainly money is the flow. It's the economy on the planet. But we are against allowing transactions to to hold the value for your experience with Burning Man. So we want to decommodify Burning Man in a way, devalue it from a financial or transactional or commercial, but turn it back into an experiential. And it's for that reason we really discourage people from buying into large packages uh, to camp at Burning Man. When people tell me, oh, I can't afford to go to Burning Man, I, you know, those camps, they charge $25,000, $15,000 to be a campmate. And I just laugh. Because that's not really anything we want to see. We know that a camp may cost $100,000 to build a really beautiful camp that has a lot of amenities, but we expect the community to find ways in which to manage that cost or scale themselves down. But um, creating a convenience camp uh, where people sort of fly in and their beds are made for them and their, all their meals are, and then they just ride off on their bike, um, that's decommodification. That's, we, that's commodifying Burning Man. We want to decommodify Burning Man. It's about experience, not about buying your experience, about, about developing it and making it and engaging in it. When these 80,000 people are living in community out in the desert for the entire time they're there, are they not using money? Are they not buying things from, you know, openly uh, buying things with nope. stores and stuff like Nope. They're not, Nothing. not selling. They're not selling food. They're not selling T-shirts, hats and so Never. on. Nope, nope. You can come to you come to the center of camp and you can buy ice. <laughs> That's it, and everybody knows that. All eighty thousand people know that, and they all cooperate with that. Yes, if they don't know it, then the community teaches them. You know, yes. that's the other part of it. The, the 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 principles are meant to be guidelines, and they're meant to be something that people use to to sort of shape their experience, their expectations. Um, we won't allow people to be selling something and. If an event is affiliated with us, of which there are 80 events around the world that are affiliated, they must also follow these. So you, if you go to a Burning Man event, you won't find it to be actually a Burning Man event. 
if there's food vending, if there's, um, you know, water being sold, we expect all of the events that are affiliated with us to follow the same principles. So I gather then that that uh, Burning Man for the upper 1% where this meals cost $250 a person, they're, they're not in the, uh, in the circle of the Burning Man circle. Do you know the event I'm talking about, something called Future Future or something like that? Oh, yes. <laughs> it's, it's called the Billionaire's Burning Man, BBM. Anyway, there we're not was spend- a, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that Further Future is still in existence, I um, but I believe it. Yeah, it existed maybe um, happened twice. And, uh, you know, that's that's probably its own podcast. Um, I think that they they were well intentioned in doing a smaller event um, and doing it their way. But um, it's kind of hard to imagine that that would have been financially successful based on the fact that they were missing a couple of the pieces of what makes a, a community event so successful. Well, um, but there are, you know, there are plenty of... Yeah, I want to stay with the with, with the original Burning Man with you and with the ones that are you're connected with around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an aside, when you put all the Burning Man organizations together, could you guess at the number of people that are attending an event on a yearly basis total around the planet? Well, around the planet, my guess would be it's over 100,000. We have two other events in addition to us that are close to 10,000. Uh-huh. And um, it have been at least 10,000 in the past. Sometimes they're a little bit less. And so with our 80, that puts you at 100,000. And then of the others, they range uh, between 2,000 or 500, 2,500, maybe 5,000. So I could guess 120,000 in a year without exaggerating. Could be as many as 130 or 140,000 in a year. We think that over a million people, unique humans, um, have experienced Burning Man in the last uh, 30 years. It took 53 people coming together to create the American Revolution (laughs) over a million is a much larger number, but of course the population is as well. Let's move on. Tell, let's talk about radical self-reliance. So um, radical self-reliance is interesting because, like I mentioned before, all 10 of them are meant to work together. And radical self-reliance is certainly the principle that reminds us that you're responsible for your own destiny. You're responsible for taking care of yourself. You're responsible for bringing your own water. But they really are balanced out by communal effort and civic responsibility. Certainly communal effort is another principle where you're expected to also recognize that you're in a community and that the success of the community takes all the individuals. So it's not radical self-selfishness, it's radical self-reliance, you bringing the tools for your own survival, but when you're in there in the community, you're absolutely expected to engage in the survival for the community and communal effort being one piece of it. But then civic responsibility is that part that says, you know, we're building a metropolitan, 80,000 people is a metropolitan area and you have responsibility to be a responsible member. So we don't create a TAS, a temporary autonomous zone that's never been the attention ever. We actually believe in civil society. We actually believe that the event is an experiment um, in civics. So radical self-reliance sets up the individuals to bring their own resources, to be prepared to be self-reliant, and also to enter into an environment that uh, their participation as a community member is expected, but their participation um in the civic morals and mores and values of a gathering, uh, which are nuanced, different from just the communal effort. Communal effort is helping everybody put up their tents. Civic responsibility means, you know, we have an issue this year where there were a lot of people bringing in um, e-bikes last year. Since from 2019 to 2022, the cost of e-bike, the availabilities of electronic bikes have flourished. Well, people drove them too fast. We have a rule at Burning Man that cars have to go only five miles an hour. So we expect e-bikes to also follow that rule. So how are we going to change that? Do we create a rule that we have to enforce? No, we'd rather use the principles. So something like civic responsibility 
is related to expressing to the community that we expect them to behave in a fashion that does not affect others, that doesn't injure others. So radical self-reliance says, I will bring my own bike. Civic responsibility says that I will follow the rules of the community in order to, you know, create a, a safe environment so that actually we don't have to police people. We are asking people to self-police for the sake of the civic experiment. Does your central organization have a way of communicating with the entire 80,000 people or getting to most of them in a fairly rapidly? Can you ask that again? I'm, I'm interested in communications at Burning Man. I know you're way out in the desert. Uh, most likely you bring your own electricity. You must have generators unless you have electricity lines going out there. I'm wondering, do you have a way of communicating to the entire 80,000 people through some uh, internet process that everybody's aware of, like a giant text message or something? Um. You know, communicating with the community is a year-long experience. We use a weekly newsletter called the Jackrabbit Speaks. We also have an annual um, report called the Dispatch. Um, so those are sort of ongoing generated. But when so when you get to Burning Man, um, you've received a ticket and you received a survival guide. And the survival guide is sort of a part of your set and setting in what to expect, how to get there. Um, how to engage with law enforcement, how to find um, the medical, what kind of things to bring with you. So once you get to Burning Man, you've actually been exposed to a lot of communications. Now that you're at Burning Man, what exists for us to get to you if we need to? And mostly when we need to get to people, it's around urgent situations. We don't typically broadcast any kind of mundane uh, information. We don't broadcast. Uh, we don't feel a need to give people. Uh, we we do pass out a schedule when they arrive. Um, that schedule is all created by the participants. There's very little of that that we have anything to do with. That's all participant created content. Um, so we're not announcing schedules and you know when to be somewhere. We have already told them in advance when the man burns, when the temple burns. But we if we get a rain event. Um, we do use the radio station. We have a main radio station and that broadcasts 24-7 for 10 days. So we do expect people to tune into the radio station if they have a need. If there's weather, uh, when we want, when they're leaving, they should check in on the radio station because we'll give traffic reports. Uh, there is some internet at Burning Man. It pretty much clogs itself up. Uh, partway through, we tell people not to count on the internet. But we have the radio station and the radio station is run by the organization. So that's what we use to help people understand what kind of um, urgent situations they would need. And then people. And when you enter into the event, there's a, a portion called the greeters. So perhaps perhaps if there was going to be a storm coming up, but it hasn't come up, the greeters would start telling people as they enter. They would tell people as they enter. Uh, the Rangers, there's about 800 volunteers that sort of circulate throughout the city. If there was going to be any, again, any other reason for there to be um, any kind of danger or health scare, the Rangers would wander through the city and start telling the citizens. So right. we're using entry points, radio stations, and on foot. And we can distribute information very, very quickly when necessary. That's what it sounds like. Um, let's get back to the 10 principles because that's the underlying foundation. Uh, radical self-expression. That sounds exciting and fun. I love that one. I learned about Burning Man when I was at the Academy of Art, at Academy of Art University here in San Francisco. I was um, a graduate student in photography. And it was really interesting to, it was 1992. And so there, I saw photos of maybe, you know, a couple hundred people in an art piece at that time. And I came out of art school with this sort of, little knot in my stomach. I did not know that I did not, I, I assumed I was not going to be making my living in art, so to speak. Um, but I could feel that what art school had awakened in me after having been in sales and in advertising, it, it, and, and I have a graduate, undergraduate degree in creative writing, but it reawoke the joys of being creative. And it wasn't just about art. It's too easy to say to people, you know, you should, it, we like artists. We want to see art at Burning Man. Um, it's about the art. It, it's about self-expression. And that was an important nuance that 
we made when Larry first, you know, drafted these was we realized art was a very important part of inspiring people. But if we used the word art, we would be distancing ourselves with so many people that would be intimidated by a formal version of what is art. And we would get so much further if we would just encourage self-expression. And that's how that one has stuck is radical self-expression and radical meant to be, you know, pushing the envelope and pushing it outside of yourself and not just, I'm going to be self-expressive. I'm going to say what I want. No, I'm going to look for that part of myself that I can turn outside and um, share with others and be creative. That radical self-expression, it may be one of the most radical aspects of the 10 principles, because in our culture, as you know, we're really taught to homogenize, to fit in, to not look different, to not act different, to sort of go with the flow, not make any waves, etc. And here, what you're saying is each flower is a unique flower. E each plant is a unique plant. And each one has a right to express itself in its own way and still be included and still be accepted without being Absolutely. what we what we have seen so often in our culture is that when somebody stands out, they're ostracized, which is really the, the most cruel uh, form of, of uh, punishment to human beings. Yeah. Um, OK, I'm looking at my list here and I'm going to go on to communal effort. Now, communal, that's a that's a heavy word in our culture. Right. As soon as people hear communal, they start thinking communes. They start thinking of communists. They've got all these wild ideas, and yet we are tribal animals, and we do better living communally and collectively. What does communal effort mean in the Ten Principles? Well, we're really encouraging, you know, collaboration and cooperation. You know, that's the bottom line, communal effort. And that really can be seen when you imagine that part of what makes Burning Man very powerful are these theme camps. And theme camps are many tribes within the tribe. The, the most interesting part of many of the journeys around these theme camps are theme camps range in size from, you know, five or six people, which is not common for a full theme camp, but really 25 to 400. And what comes out of that is often self-governance and they pick how they're going to be led and how they're going to meet and how they're going to get the work done. And that's all communal effort. It's the members joining, knowing that there's a common purpose and that their role is to collaborate and they learn how to communicate and they learn how to govern together. And that's communal effort, working in collaboration and cooperation in order to get something done. It works with the art pieces. There are huge art pieces that take a huge number of people to make them happen. Uh, art cars, small and large, just getting to Burning Man itself is an effort in, you know, communication and collaboration and cooperation. And that's communal effort. Also, I've been told that many of the groups that come, if not all of the groups nowadays that come to Burning Man are organized during the year and they have meetings and they have planning sessions and so on. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Um, most of the camps will, you know, leave Burning Man. They'll put their items in storage, particularly if they're, a, you know, somewhat frequently organized camp. They may meet together starting in January, if not before the end of the year. Some of them now have bought property and they'll do smaller events. They might do fundraising either for the organization or for local charities that the camp uh, supports. And then they'll start meeting to plan their Burning Man presence for the following year. And in some ways, some of the camps will not come every year and will instead go to regional events. But many of these groups are, you know, many cultures within the bigger culture and they are excited about their communities and they want to nurture them throughout the year. The next one on my list is called civic responsibility. That sounds like you're asking people to get involved in their home community in some way. Is that correct? Or are you referring more to civic responsibility while at Burning Man or both? Um, it's definitely both. It was originally written um, with the regional leadership in mind because they were starting to create their own events. And it now applies certainly to even the theme camps. Um, like I mentioned, some of the theme camps may not come every year and may actually have their own gatherings. And, you know, if you're going to take responsibility for gathering people together, we expect 
the leadership of that gathering, particularly if it wants to be considered Burning Man, and even without the organization's blessing, if they want to show up in ways that uh, support the culture, you have to be concerned with public welfare. You're, as an organizer, looking out for the public. Um, you're looking out for the people that are gathered. But in, in general, we value civil society and we count on people to make that forefront in how they bring people together. You're, you're aware, of course, I don't know to what extent the public is aware that everything that goes on, or not everything, but a great deal of what goes on at Burning Man in terms of an 80,000-person city, if you will, forming, is unusual in terms of how the people get together. And so from that perspective, you now have enough years of testing to know that these principles are working. For example, I'm told and I've read that there's extremely little crime at Burning Man, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's not, you know, your typical festival, probably if there's beer or alcohol being sold, has a lot of fighting. Um, that's not a typical problem at Burning Man at all. People find their bikes. They might believe that their bikes are stolen. I think bikes being left um, unattended or unlocked are, you know, likely to be borrowed. We find bikes all over the place that haven't been stolen. Uh, very, things of high value, like a very valuable e-bike could disappear if one doesn't lock it and keep it within one site. Um, you know, so I would say it's some of those are just small crimes of opportunity. People um, use their backpacks. We find lots of backpacks, lots of phones. We reunite people with their lost items. Um, but no, any kind of crime that comes up, um, we have law enforcement there. We have our own um, internal processes. And, but it's rare. You know, Crime is rare, rare, isn't it, Marion? Very rare. Yeah. For 80,000 people, great things. Yeah. And the, pub rare. the public need to know that. What's yeah. next on your list of 10, Marion? Look down at your list. Because uh, Well, I have... I'm, um, I'm leaving Leave No Trace for last. Okay, well, Leave leave No Trace for last, then participation. Yes. Well, we re really, we believe in people being participatory. Um when it comes particularly an example to use is, of course, when you're at the event, uh, it's hard to just say that you're not, we don't expect spectators. We used to have a saying that said no spectators. And we stopped using that saying because it was easy to really shame people that might be watching. Um, so we use the word participate, engage. Um, you may watch something because you may have been the participant that helped build it. Uh, but we want people to think about themselves on a spectrum. If you come to Burning Man and you just consume and you just watch and you haven't built something and then you sort of leave with having just taken in everything and not engaged, you're you're really not going to have as rewarding an outcome or a connection to what we're doing. Uh, participating includes simply seeing uh, that an artist needs some help to put something up and you say, can I help? Um, that's participation. Everybody's invited to play. Everybody's invited to play. Nobody's yeah. left out. You have yeah, I mean... Engaging with others on these levels opens your heart. Ha, ha, you you meet others by engaging, and that's participation. Do you have one more before leave no trace? I think I'm. I'm I do. Out. Yes. I have immediacy. Um, it it was the last one, and for Larry, that became his favorite because it really is about you know uh, immediate experience and. He, he wrote, we seek to overcome barriers that stand between us and a recognition of our inner selves. That's a really profound way to realize the, how to show up and be present. It's about being present. Isn't it? it is. 80,000 people out in the desert building monumental structures, living together for an entire week, and then they leave and they leave no trace. How did you accomplish that? <laughs> It's funny that you saved it for last. When I'm trying to get someone to quickly understand what Burning Man is about, I often make that one first. It was just about starting it from the very beginning. And it really related to radical self-reliance and it related to communal effort. I mean, if you look again, if you look at all of these together, they're really all meant to be sewn and wrapped together. And you can't just tell people to come to a festival. And I don't usually call it a festival, but I'm using that as shorthand to come to a large gathering or festival and that they're going to take away their own trash. You know, that doesn't work. It doesn't work at Coachella. I've never, ever been to a festival on this planet where it works. 
But I have been to festivals where I lean down and I pick up trash that I'm about to step over because it's my second nature that at Burning Man, there is no cleaning department. There's no daily trash removal. There's no trash barrels. So if you set up these principles of radical self-reliance and communal effort, and it's your civic responsibility to help maintain the environment uh, that you're living in, um, each one of these basically sets you up pretty easily for wealth and leave no trace. So everything that you bring in with you, you're going to take away with you. Every bottle, every packaging, um, every piece of wood that you built, it's, that's your, that's part of your radical self-reliance, communal effort and civic responsibility to take it all away and leave no trace. And it works. When I started Wilbur Hot Springs in 1972, the health sanctuary there, the guests had to take all their garbage home with them when they left. And that lasted yeah. for several, it lasted for several years. And then we lost yeah. it and we lost it. I, I It's a really you. hard one. I, you have to set the expectations in front. Um, we've had other folks from festivals ask us to give them sort of input on how to do it. But once you open that door, and particularly other festivals have um, vending. And so, you know, how do you get your tacos without there being, you know, refuse? Um, so uh, I applaud you for even starting that. Um, I visited Esalen and they were very curious about you know, how we do it. And I think, I think of many of your retreat centers that are really meant to bring us close to the natural world. There's a really great opportunity in the narrative for people to really recognize. When I visited Wilbur, um, I had some drinks with me and I didn't take my drink, my juice drink and look for a trash bin, not once. I know that my own principles were, I had a backpack with me and the whole time, if I finished a drink or a soda or anything I brought with me, I put it in my own backpack. I actually personally took everything out that I came with um, at Wilbur because it's totally possible. I'll tell you, you know, we mentioned Wilbur Hot Springs. Some years ago, Martha Stewart produced a wedding at Wilbur, and it was quite magnificent with huge tents and bands, and they brought in a wooden dance floor and marble in the bathrooms, and uh, it was quite an extravaganza. And at one point, the, the bride came over to me and she said, is there anything that we can do for you in terms of making this event okay for Wilbur? And I said, yes, there is one thing you can do. I said, leave no trace as they do at Burning Man. And she knew exactly what I meant. And when they left, they left no trace. They, That's they fabulous. followed that principle. Yeah, it really was fabulous because that was a tremendous concern about what the place was going to look like out there in the valley once they left. Oh, yeah. Leave you know, it's a very practical concern, Richard, um, when the event was small, uh, the way Larry and some of the other organizers tell it, because I wasn't there when it was super small, they didn't want to have to pick up after everybody. They just exactly. felt it was not the right way they wanted to be. It's not the way when you go camping with your friends. You know, if you go camping with your friends, you bring your stuff and you make whatever you're going to make and you carry your shit out of there. You don't, you know, the one friend that came up with the idea, you're, you don't give them the trash bag going, hey, it was nice to be here, but here's my trash. Could you carry it out for me? It came from a practical place. 80 of them went out into the middle of the desert and they were all like, hey, listen, everybody, we're doing this together. Everybody takes their own shit out and it stayed and it stuck. And we certainly we have we do have um, a waste stream system for the organization, but it's not open to the public. It's well hidden. And in order to run the organization, we certainly have a waste stream management, but we have gotten, you know, 80,000 people to pack it in, pack it out. And that's a quite an accomplishment. I know that Burning Man has attempted to be apolitical because you want to be inclusive to all people of all political parties. Yet at the very same time, you're making a political statement. You can't help but do so by your behavior. So, for example, when I read Leave No Trace, that means to me, if we're going to follow that in the country and the world, it means we're going to stop attacking the planet because we're leaving a trace. We're going to stop extracting. We're going to stop ruining. We're going to stop contributing to climate uh, effects that are dangerous. And those are political. How do you deal with that? There are other ones also that you have in the 10 principles that definitely have, I think, political implications because they will affect how people behave and how people behave is in itself political. We can't get away from it. Decommodification, for example, 
decommodification has long-range serious political implications because if you take decommodification deeply and seriously, then I think you have to question capitalism as a means of financial interchange because capitalism and decommodification may not be able to work together comfortably. The same with some of your some of your other principles seem to be so unifying of humanity that so many of the things that we're presently practicing, which my audience at Burning Man would not give an A or a B and a sprinkling of C's to, needs to change. Mm. Well, Richard, I think that that's the hard part about the principles. Um, I think anybody in the organization, outside the organization, and sort of even in the middle doing service for the organization in different ways would tell you that it really is an active dialogue. I We had a leadership week with just the staff, and I hosted a conversation with the, with the head of the Philosophical Center, Stuart Mangrum, where we sort of set up a bit of a Q&A so that the staff could ask me some hard questions about why I was not able to come out and make very strong public stands on important political issues. And it's not a black and white, easy conversation to have on why we try really hard not to pick the, the hot political areas. And you know, Larry used to say that there may be some day where we would need to use our our clout and trust uh, for political reasons, but that that time was not now. He passed away five years ago, and I don't see that that's really changed. I think the best thing that I can do is, you know, is to set a good example by how we operate and to help bridge the difference between people that feel um, differently about their responsibilities. And I think that the powerful work is done not by the organization, but by the individuals that come to Burning Man that, that embody the, the principles of being a better person, stewarding the planet in a better way, and really being that change they want to see in the world and not asking the organization to, uh, to do that because you know, I would just be flipping, flopping like a fish all over the place, trying to figure out who I was trying to please. Um, at this point, I'm trying to nurture a cultural output, a cultural movement, um, a cultural experience. And that doesn't have black and white answers. It really is asking people to lean into what it means for human flourishing, um, what it means for human potential. And I don't, I, it's unfortunate that we're in a time right now where all over the world, there is a real gravitational pull uh, happening between um, people that believe in one direction and people that believe in another direction. And that um, the religious division, I mean, I was raised in Ohio and I didn't know what the politics of my neighbors were. Um, I knew that my father voted for Reagan. Um, and when I was a voting age, uh, I think the first time I voted was for a Republican. Uh, if I remember right. And, you know, that's so much more an identity of who we are and how we operate. And I think that that blocks us from that part of humanity and human flourishing and human potential to be identifying people by their politics. So there could be a day when the voice for Burning Man will help create uh, important change, certain issues. I look at Burning Man as like a hundred year plan. And if that's the case, we're a little over 35 years into it. And so I have, you know, a young person, not a mature culture that can handle the, the tension well enough. So at this point, I do everything I can to navigate so that Burning Man uh, encourages free thought, a dialogue, um, asking questions, collecting information, listening to others working together um, and looking at the, themselves as part of the solution um, as, as the theory. Like I'm, I'm using none of the real words from the principles because I believe that there are many religions, um, many philosophies that, that embrace what we're doing. They just use different words for it. When I think about the principle, I wonder also about where things sort of closer to the heart of my 
profession come in? For example, kindness. People talk about radical kindness. What, does that fit in? And what about this personal taking personal responsibility for one's behavior? Which of the principles do those two things fit into? Kindness and mm-hmm. responsibility. Well, responsibility, I think, uh, comes up. Uh, self-responsibility is really radical self-reliance. That's responsibility. But I think civic responsibility yeah. is okay. is right up there also. Um, you're not just in it for yourself. You're you're we're it, we're creating civic environment um, and, commu- and communal effort. You know, you're responsible for helping others. Um, and then kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny. At one point, we went through a staff review of these, and the staff re- that said the word is love. The love, the word love, was missing. And Larry said, "Well, the, it's inherent in all of this that the the way in which these are meant to work together is to create um, a sense of love and connection with others." Um, and so, I don't know that I see which one that would be, but I think maybe gifting because it's so related to uh, giving from your heart. Yes. Generosity of spirit. Generosity of spirit. The political still comes back. Yes, the political comes back into my mind because, well, partly because I'm oriented politically. I I think the 10 principles have implications. Tell me about whether you think they do, whether the principles have implications for such things as youth care, women's rights, abortion rights, climate change. The, these things have all become political, yet they're part of our lives. And don't the principles have implications for those big ticket items? I know that oh, you know, on the spot a bit, and I'm not asking you. I'm not asking you to take a position. I'm asking you more to talk about whether there are implications for the big ticket items in the built into the principles. Maybe I'm looking to go 65 years into the future. Um. um. I think that the interesting part about Burning Man is the way in which anybody can sort of read what they want and what they need into Burning Man and into the principles. Um, I really have to stand by my, you know, position that the implications of the principles are really meant to create an environment where people will live and work well together and do it in a fashion that will produce a very positive outcome towards their engagement with others, their hope in humanity and their desire to continue working well together. And that's the foundation. And so what questions you put into that, what, how you filter the world's problems through that, I think is the exercise of the next layer. Uh, when you leave Burning Man, how can you make the world a better place? What can you as an individual do? How do you commune with others and find others uh, to join your idea. There's many business ideas, many companies, many nonprofits that have come out of Burning Man. And some of them are meant to solve some of the world's um, pain and uh, lean towards healing and create opportunity for humanity. So sure, if you're encouraged by the principles in your Burning Man experience to make change in the world, that's the platform by which I'm going to encourage people. I'm not at this point at all inclined to pick any of the principles and say that they're a call to action uh, for particular issues. I think the call to action for the issues come from the individual, come from a belief in humanity, come from a belief that, you know, if we don't uh, take a look at how we're engaging with one another, we are probably going to, you know, be setting ourselves up for um, a very poor future. Uh, that will be um, hurting each other, creating war, creating division. Um, and whatever the problem is, whatever the question is, we won't have enough confidence or hope to come together to solve it together. Um, so that's, you know, that's where we're coming from is mm-hmm. what's the foundation by which if there was global calamity, um, there are likely that there are burners that are going to go look at the solution in different ways. but. We're setting it up here so that you'll include people and bring them to the table, ideally with different ideas, that you're you're not going to commodify a solution, but that if you need a solution and make something happen, you just do it because it needs to happen. That, you know, from a radical self-reliance, if you were, if you had a crisis, everybody brings their own tools to that table that they've been welcomed to to help solve the problem. 
Uh, radical self-expression is part of that is, you know, coming up with your own ideas, expressing, you know, yourself in the context of, again, communal effort, civic responsibility, and leaving no trace. You know, that's a logistical thing with regard to trash, but it can also be seen as a philosophical thing. Um, you know, the trace could be perceived as the garbage and the bullshit that people, you know, involve themselves in when uh, becoming politicizing their own needs. Like think think bigger than yourself um, and participate in it and engage immediately. So I could just map for you how to use Burning Man principles to just solve any problem. Um, there are some serious problems on the planet. There are a lot that we're all really very engaged in. Um, and I'm not yet in a position to choose which of those we throw ourselves into. I'm in a position to, you know, empower people to look at how are they going to show up and what it is they can do and how are they going to drive that change that they want, how to give them that confidence that, yeah, how how are you going to do it? What do you got? Sounds like one of the things you can bring to the table that's extremely powerful without jeopardizing your position of inclusivity is exactly what you just said, which is to go to a particular group that's working on a topic and say, we can show you how to apply Burning Man principles to the topic. That's what you're talking about, isn't it? Sure, absolutely. You know, I, I think you can, I, you know, the other thing that we didn't really get into here, but is we also see Burning Man as being sort of a leadership machine because all of these principles are put together to make Black Rock City thrive. They can actually be put together to make community projects happen. They can be put together to start businesses. They can be put together for the theme camps, for people to buy property. You know, they're they're very communitarian uh, and they don't, they're not, that's not Republican and that's not Democrat. You know, I do spend time in Washington, D.C. I've had people in my camp that are flaming left-wing Hillary uh, campaigning and people that have actually worked on Trump's campaign in my camp. And they found things that they had in common and they found things to laugh about and they found things to listen about. So I believe that, that that's why they were able to come together because they both know that, wow, there's something I'm learning from Burning Man about how to be an activist. An activist can activate in any direction. I'm super confident, Richard, that really the principles of Burning Man in the humanistic fashion are going to activate change that is not going to be reverting backwards. It just isn't. Whether it's a Republican or Democrat, whether from different religions or different countries, you know, once you sit in that space, it's hard to really revert. And what does revert mean? I'm not going to pick which part of the spectrum because I think on both far ends of that spectrum are really hard places for me to sit. I want people to sort of come together and I don't want to politicize Burning Man and I don't want to pick politics. I want to, I want humanity to be the way in which people, you know, show up and bring their gifts to the table. Um, and I want that to be first. That is very beautiful, Marion. That's the future. <laughs> that is the future. Marion, thank you so much for giving me the privilege of having you on the program today. It's been, it's been really enjoyable and very educational. I loved talking with you, Richard. I'm very honored to be part of a long history of your radio shows and your storytelling and that you bring very interesting culture to the surface. And um, I'm very grateful to have been one in a long series and history of very interesting people. I've learned so much by listening to a number of your um, pieces and explored your book, um, Psychedelics and Medicine. Um, so thank you. You've honored me and invited me to be here. And um, I really enjoyed it. So thank you. Uh, it's very mutual and mutual to you too, dear listeners. Remember that we broadcast every Tuesday at nine o'clock with a new program. For those of you who want to get on the mailing list, we publish a newsletter every week telling you who's going to be on the program. Just go to info at mindbodyhealthpolitics.org and uh, we'll send you a newsletter, or you can go to the website and sign up. Also, the website has archives of all uh, programs that we've done that Marion just referenced, so you can go there and listen anytime, open source, no charge, to you all. Oh, you know, I always say to guests, if there's something, if we quit right now, and you drove away or walked away and thought to yourself, oh, I just wish I would have said that, and I just thought of one thing, 
that I want to mention, I'm going to come back to. I know this is a bit unorthodox, Marion. You're making a statement in Burning Man to the world by being a nonprofit organization. Hmm. In summing up, although you did so sum up so beautifully, I'm taking the liberty. What are we saying to the world when Burning Man is a nonprofit organization? Well, we're saying that we're here not for our self-interest. Um, there is no opportunity for any of the individuals running the organization to sell out or have stock. Um, we're all in service to something bigger. And uh, the other piece to that, the nuance, is that it's not about the event. Burning Man really is a cultural way in which you could use that as a filter to make change in the world. And that's why we're a nonprofit. We want people to see us as a global mission, a global movement, and not just 80,000 people in the desert. Thank you, Mary. And I'm, I'm, I wanted to add that because I felt it's so important. It's such a big statement you're making by being a nonprofit that nobody's going to walk away with all the money, that it's all of you working together to create this cultural change. Thank you again. Thank you, Richard. Hi, Eva Cheska here again. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, and we encourage you to share it with others. All of our programs are archived and are open source, which means that you can listen to them anytime, anywhere, anyplace through our website, free of charge. We also invite you to check out my dad's books, Psychedelic Medicine, The Healing Powers of LSD, MDMA, Psilocybin, and Ayahuasca, Psychedelic Wisdom, The Astonishing Rewards of Psychedelic Substances, and Integral Psychedelic Therapy, The Non-Ordinary Art of Psycho-Spiritual Healing, co-edited. Stay tuned for a new episode of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics every week. And if you want advance notice of our upcoming guests, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Until next time, this is Evacheska DeAngelis wishing you good health.